Hey, welcome to the Kingdom Church Podcast. We're so glad you could join us. You're listening to the first part of our new series, Growing Pains. So whatever you're doing, wherever you are, sit back, relax. Here it is. Some praise. If you don't mind standing for a moment longer, uh, and then you guys can can, can find a seat. Uh, I want to read our opening scripture today. Uh, Now, the first time I read this, uh, it might... It might not mean much to you, but uh, as the day goes on, it's going to hit. So you guys good? Okay, I'm going to have to, listen, we got a lot of guests today. You can respond. Is everyone good today? Let's go. Romans 11, 22, it says, Consider, therefore, the kindness and the sternness of God. Sternness to those who fell but kindness to you, provided that you continue in his kindness. Otherwise, you will also be cut off. And if they do not persist in unbelief, they will be grafted in, for God is able to graft them in again. After all, if you were cut out of an olive tree that is wild by nature and contrary to nature were grafted into a cultivated olive tree, how much more readily Will these natural branches be grafted into their own olive tree? Told y'all, you might not like, you're like, what is going on? Uh, Here's what I want to speak on today. Uh, I want to call our message, Born to be Wild. Born to be Wild. Come on, can we put our hands together this morning? You guys can find a seat. Uh, And as you find your seat, can you say hello to someone? Just give them a fist pound this morning and say, welcome to church today. Come on. So good. And uh, in the back, can you get a little dim on the lights uh, so we can all see each other? Because I want you all to take some notes today. So we are beginning a brand new series here at church today called Growing Pains. And let's go. Uh, I got a simple premise. It is this. We need to grow and growth hurts. So I think that this is probably not uh, better seen in any example uh, than exercise. Exercise is probably the best example to let you know uh, that growth can sometimes be painful. Now, uh, not so much today. You guys can pray for me. But back in my late teens, early 20s, I was pretty consistent going to the gym. Uh, Then I had kids. Come on, somebody. So... Uh, when I was in college, my first semester of college, uh, our, our, our campus had a gym, and I lived on campus, and so I decided to exercise, be pretty consistent, uh, and it was really easy because, like, just had to go down the hill, in the gym, you get a membership by being a student. It was amazing. So for four months, my freshman year of college, um, I worked out pretty consistently, like, five days a week. Now, my second semester of school, when I came back, um, I decided uh, to, to start working out with a group of guys, um, and this group of guys called themselves the Huge Crew. And so, like, come on, I want to get huge. I'm going to join the Huge Crew um, and always be aware of people that label themselves. Like, that's usually, um, but we're 18, right? So, um, and my friend, uh, my friend Jorge, uh, he was a little bit older than me. Uh, he'd been working out for a few more years, and so he was kind of the leader of the crew, and uh, he sort of had these plans and all of these things that we had to do. And I remember the first day that I worked out with them, uh, I was doing stuff I had never done before and, like, just pushing it. Um, And then the next day, 
uh, I'll never forget the feeling that I had. Um, I was in the shower the next morning, waking up, doing my thing, and like I put shampoo in my hands to, to put it in my hair, uh, and I could barely lift my arms to touch my head. I was so sore. I had never felt pain like that in my life. Uh, but I had just worked out so hard uh, the day before that I was feeling it the next day. But it was weird because like, I, 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 it wasn't like I had never worked out before, right? Like I had been doing it for four or five months, um, yet uh, <laughs> I never felt what I felt after I worked out with those guys. And it made me think to myself, like, was I even exercising um, before? I don't know what I was doing. Uh, and so if you guys have ever worked out or, or exercised, you will know that the pain of exercise is actually a good pain, right? Like to be sore is good. Now there's a difference between being sore and being hurt. Like y'all ever hurt your back before working out? Like that, there's a difference. But when you are sore, it's actually a good thing because that pain is actually proof that there's progress that is happening. It's beneath the surface, the microfibers, all of those things are growing, stretching, all of those things, but the pain is good. You guys following? So as we begin this collection of messages over the next six weeks called Growing Pains, I have a really simple premise. It's this. Growth is always good, and it's always painful. Growth is always good, and it's always painful. And what's interesting, one of the sub-points of that story that I just told, and I really want us to lean in for a second, is for four months... I was at the gym, but just because I was in proximity to all the right things, all the right places, all the right people, that doesn't guarantee that you're growing. Are you guys following today? I'm preaching already. I can be in the right place, that doesn't always guarantee growth. However, when I'm growing, there's always going to be a little bit of pain. There's always going to be a little bit of stretching. Now. I want to speak on this series for the next number of weeks for two reasons. Um, reason number one, we're in a cool season right now as a church where we're growing, right? You guys have experienced over the last three, four months, like people are just coming all these places and, you know, God's doing this amazing thing, which is really cool and I'm really happy and I'm really excited. But what I also know is that with growth always comes pain, right? Some of us are already experiencing it where it's like, man, I used to know everyone, What's going on? Uh, and I would say, well, we're growing. And, and so growth can sometimes be a little bit painful. So number one, over the next number of weeks, I want to give us some language, some tools, some biblical uh, insights on how we can deal uh, as a church as we continue to grow. Number two, uh, and the bigger reason that I want to preach this series uh, called Growing Pains uh, is because of the vision that God gave our church. Now, if you were here two weeks ago, amazing. If you weren't here two weeks ago and you call Kingdom Church home, you need to listen to this message. Vision Sunday, two weeks ago. Our vision for this next year is this belief and this rallying cry that everything can change. You guys hear that? Anyone hear that? A couple people. How many of you guys bought a sweater? Come on, somebody. Everything can change. Now, as I say that, the rallying cry is this. We believe wholeheartedly when people come into the presence of Jesus, everything can change. People that were lost in one moment can be found. 
It's amazing. And we're just believing over the next 12 months, we are going to see lost people be found like never before. We are going to see God things that we have not seen before. Now, all that to say, sometimes I think we can romanticize what it means to have Jesus enter your life. Now, hear me as I say this. The moment that you move from death to life is the greatest moment you will ever experience. There is no greater miracle than salvation, right? The fact that, like, in a moment, my status can change. I go from lost to found. I go from orphan to son to daughter in but a moment, which is amazing, right? And I, I love the language. Like, I got saved. Anyone saved in the room today? Few people? And if you're not saved, I'm so happy that you're here because, like, I believe that salvation happens in the house of the Lord. Um, but a lot of times we, we, we really romanticize that, which I think that we should, um, but people begin to think that the whole Christian journey is just rainbows and butterflies. It's victory to victory, glory to glory, uphill the whole way, I guess maybe downhill if you're, if you're walking, depending on <laughs> what you're thinking. But um, what I want to suggest is simply this. The process of following Jesus, although it is the greatest decision you will ever make, it involves also a little bit of pain. Now, the reason I say this is because of my main point for this series. As we're growing, there has to be points of pain. And for a lot of us in this room, especially for those of us that are saved, I want this series to be a heart check kind of time. Because if I'm following after Jesus and I don't have any points of pain, I would suggest maybe you're in the right place, maybe you're in proximity to Jesus, but that doesn't actually mean that you're doing all the things that you need to do. Because I believe that as I follow Jesus, there's going to be a little bit of pain. But it's not a pain because I'm hurting, it's a pain because I'm growing. Does that make sense? And so that's what I want to do in this series. And I have two hopes for today. This is, I'm just setting this whole series up. I have two hopes that I'm going to get you out of here. Number one is this. I want us to understand why we need to change. This is important. I want us to understand why we need to change. Uh, and number two, I want to talk about why change can be painful. Why we need to change and why change is painful. That's pretty simple, right? You guys ready to roll? Okay, so... We're going to go into Romans chapter 11. Now, if you're here today and you consider yourself a biblical uh, scholar of sorts, uh, you might know that Romans chapter 9 to 11 is perhaps the most theologically dense two chapters in the entire scripture. Uh, there are whole theological uh, camps that are built from Romans 9, chapter 11. Um, and if you think that you understand Romans 9 to 11 perfectly, um, I would just encourage you probably don't know it as well as you think you do, because uh, even Paul, which I'm going to show us, ends it by kind of saying, like, even God, even I don't fully understand. I'm just saying this. I don't even understand the fullness of God. So you might be saying, Harrison, why would you choose such a dense passage that can be confusing? Uh, simply this, it has exactly what I need for today. That's, that's why I'm going into it. However, um, I do need to give us a little bit of context Otherwise, the scripture won't make sense. So, I'm going to give us like three minutes of context. Can you guys lean in for a second? Yeah. I'm going to teach you. It's amazing. And if you're new to the Bible, this is actually going to be very valuable to you to help understand the Bible. So, the Bible is split into two testaments, 
Old Testament and New Testament. Now, the Old Testament is centered around the nation of Israel. Israel, if you do not know this, are God's people. Uh, and if you want to understand the Old Testament, like bird's eye view, it's simply this. God makes a promise to Israel. God is faithful to Israel. Israel, not so faithful to God. That's like, that's like the Old Testament in 10 seconds. God is faithful. Israel is not. Now, what happens is when Israel is not faithful, God continues to be faithful to them. Now, some people think it's because God loves Israel so much. Now, God does care about Israel, and God cares about you and I. But the reason that God is faithful is not because of his love. The reason that God is faithful is because God has made a promise. And when God makes a promise, he is faithful to his word. And that is good news because if God was faithful to us, who are wilding and stupid and kind of crazy, we'd be in big trouble. But because God is faithful to himself, he doesn't leave us for dry. Does that make sense? So God is faithful to Israel. Israel keeps rejecting him. Now, Israel's ultimate rejection of God is found really in the New Testament when they reject Jesus. Their rejection of Jesus essentially, um, Paul is going to argue, is you know, a rejection of God, of God. And so where we pick it up, what Paul is talking about essentially is this. He is saying that because Israel has rejected God, they have been cut off. And he says because they have been cut off, there has now made a way for the Gentiles to come into the story. Now, if you're like, what's a Gentile? Pretty simple. A Gentile is simply someone who isn't Jewish. Now, that's what the Gentile means, non-Jew. Now, uh, today, anyone in the room Jewish heritage by chance? No one. Amazing. Uh, so we're a room full of Gentiles. What's up? Come on, somebody. Uh, where are my Gentiles at in the place today? Let's go. So Paul's whole thing is the Jews have been cut off, and he uses the metaphor of, of a tree, an olive tree. Um, and he says the Jews have been cut off, and he says now the Gentiles have been grafted in. So he uses this metaphor um, of what is called grafting. And what grafting is, if you guys know how plants roll, uh, it's literally like you cut off a branch, uh, and you put a different branch of a different plant onto that branch. Anyone ever done that before? I don't know why you would. I guess Dennis and Jake have done it. Uh, you've done it? Interesting. Kyle's into but. What's the word? Bot He's a botanist. Um, so, does, does grafting make sense? It's just a metaphor. Israel's been cut off. The Gentiles have been grafted in. The Jews, who are the Israelites, are the OGs. The Gentiles have been grafted in. That's the context. Is everyone following? Was I right that there was a little bit of context to that? This is now... All that, that huge thing, Paul says this. He says, consider therefore the kindness and the sternness of God. Sternness to those who fell, talking about the Jews. He says, but kindness to you, the Gentiles, all of us. He says, provided that you continue in his kindness. Otherwise, you will also be cut off. Paul says, hey, listen, y'all, you now have a way. There's a way in. The Gentiles... It's all good. He's like, but just remember, like they were cut off, you can be cut off too. Is everyone following? Now, what I want to do uh, is I want to really, in this moment here, I want to hone in on the character of God. Because I think for this series, um, to understand God's 
character is really important. Because the first question I want us to answer today is why do I need to change? Now, the reason I need to change is simply this, because of who God is. Because of who God is, I must change. Now, for a lot of us, if we know anything about God, you have probably heard this one from 1 John, God is love. You guys ever heard that? God is love. And I talk to a lot of people, and when they describe God, they'll say, like, well, you know what? God is love. And that is true, um, but it is not the whole of who God is. It's like if I say my wife is beautiful, that's true. Come on, somebody. But, like, that's not, that's not the whole of who she, she is. There's more. Now, when the Bible says God is love, it doesn't say God is loving. This is important. God is love, meaning he is the very definition of what love is. He is love-defined. So how do we define love? Well, we define it by all of the other characteristics of who God is. That actually lets us know what, God, what love is. So what Paul says here in Romans 11, he says God is both kind and stern. Did you guys get that? He's kind and stern. Now, generally speaking, we like kind Right? Like, I love that God is kind. I, re I received that, Pastor. Um, stern. It's like, ooh. Like, what do you mean stern? Like, how stern? Uh, what's funny, though, um, is that I believe that, and this is important, you cannot be loving if you are not all of the characteristics that God requires for love. And what happens sometimes is we pick the characteristics that we like, and we call that love. So I like kindness, I like compassion, and, and so for a lot of us, like love is just to be kind and to be compassionate. But if I understand that love is defined by who God is, then to be stern is also a characteristic of being loving. Does that make sense? So by God being loving and by, by being love, it means that he's also kind and he is stern. Now, if God is not one of these things, then he ceases to be loving. Does that make sense? So let me explain it like this, because I'm teaching a lot today. Imagine for a moment, because for a lot of us, it can be hard to like, how can like sternness be loving? That's where I kind of want to talk about. Um, if you're a parent, you're like, I know exactly what you mean. Uh, <laughs> but for the young folks today, let me give you an example. So let's say there's a husband and a wife. Um, and we'll say that the husband has an affair, uh, it could be the wife, it doesn't really matter, it's a hypothetical situation. But there's a marriage, um, and the husband is unfaithful. Now the wife has made a vow before people, before God, that she's going to love her husband, she's going to serve him. And so she says to herself that in order for me to be kind, I need to forgive my husband. And you may not, may not like to hear this, but I would actually agree that the Christian response is always forgiveness, regardless of the situation. Now, what happens is she forgives her husband... She says, honey, I love you. We can work this out. Uh, what happens is the husband receives the forgiveness. He receives her kindness. Um, but instead of repenting or relenting, he decides to continue to be unfaithful. And what happens in this situation is every single time that the husband is unfaithful, the wife just continues to forgive him. She says, it's okay, I love you, I forgive you, we can work this out. And as time goes on, month over month, it just gets worse. It gets so bad, it gets to the point where the husband even brings a different woman over to the house. But once again, the woman says, I have to forgive because I need to be loving. 
Now, what I would suggest is that perhaps she's being kind by forgiving her husband. But what she's forgetting is that love is kind, but at times it is also stern. And the best way to love her husband in that moment, the best way to love her family, the best way to be kind to herself is not to forgive her husband and require nothing of him. Because when she does that, she no longer, she, she ceases to be loving herself. She's actually moved to something completely different because she's taken away sternness. And so now her family isn't being loved well. She isn't being loved well. But at the beginning, she thought, well, I'm just trying to love. But her problem was she was kind, but she wasn't stern. Does that make sense? I'm trying to just explain this. And I use this example, and some people think it's far-fetched, but you need not underestimate how wild people are. But also, if you understand the story of Israel, that's kind of their story. They're just unfaithful to God time and time again, literally bringing idols into God's house and saying, hey, like, check out this calf I got over here. So um, <laughs> what God has to do because of his love is he's kind, but he's also stern. And so there are moments, there are times when God says, hey, listen, enough is enough. Now, if you understand scripture, here's the cool thing. God's kindness is what leads us to repentance. So the reason that we repent is because what happens, and if you guys have been there, you know what I'm talking about, is like you're going on your life, doing your own thing, living your own way, when all of a sudden, God changes everything. And you realize like, oh my gosh, God's grace is so good because I was living like such a fool, but the moment that he welcomed me home, I'm a son, I'm a daughter. That's God's kindness. To say, guess what? You can come here, no strings attached, come as you are, I love you, you're saved, redeemed. That's his kindness, that changes everything. But in God's sternness, this is important, when he welcomes us home, he doesn't say, hey, now that you're home, keep living like an idiot. That's not how God rolls. And it's not because he is not kind, it's because he's kind. And so in his sternness, he says, hey, now that you've come home, I have some things for you. I have some growth things for you. And sometimes that growth can be painful. Now, what happens is that for many of us, I think we can lose our picture of who God is when we don't have the proper definition of who he is. I love what Proverbs 1 says, verse 7. It says, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. The fear of the Lord. Now, it's not to be afraid of God, like literally, like I'm scared, like don't like, get me out of here. Um, to fear the Lord is to be in awe of him, is to be in wonder of him. It's to realize the magnitude and the majesty of who he is. I love what Psalm 8 says, verse 3. It says, when I consider your heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars, which you have set in place. He says, who is mankind that you are mindful of them? human beings that you care for them. The psalmist is saying, when I consider the glory and the magnitude and the grandeur of who God is, I shrink a little bit. And I'm like, oh my gosh, who am I that he even thinks about me, that he even knows who I am? And so all of this should provide a healthy fear of the Lord. Now, some of you guys, you grew up being scared of God. That's a whole lot different. When you're scared of God, 
I would suggest you've probably been exposed to too much religiosity. That, that's what caused you to be scared of God. That's religion. Now, if you have zero fear of God, I call that licentiousness, which is a really fancy word for being wild. You're too wild, you do what you want, and you're like, I don't really care. If there's a God, whatever. So we as believers, I think we live between the tension of religiosity and licentiousness. And the tension is fear of the Lord. That's where we need to be, a healthy reverence and awe of who he is. He's kind, but he's stern, right? He's not to be messed with. God ain't your boyfriend. He's the Lord of the universe. He reigns above it all. So Paul is saying now, consider, Romans eleven twenty two, 22, the kindness and the sternness of God. Sternness to those who rejected him. He's like, but kindness to the Gentiles. Right? Kindness that you now have a way into the story. He's like, provided that you continue in his kindness. Otherwise, you will also be cut off. So Israel is faithless. That's what I said. It's a big context. God is faithful. They do this whole thing back and forth, back and forth, back and forth. Paul basically says, you know what? And Jesus comes and Jesus laments over them. He brings them the good news first. But he says, woe to you, Jerusalem. And so Paul is saying they've been cut off. Now, some people think that the church replaces Israel in the story. Um, I would argue you're wrong. The church just comes into the story. And here's why I think you're wrong. And here's why their story, the Jewish story, isn't done. Paul is Jewish, number one. Um, but he says in verse 23, he says, if they do not persist in unbelief, they will be grafted in. For God is able to graft them in again. In other words, he's like, hey, listen, I cut them off, but I'm still kind. If they want to come home, the door is always open, right? Which is amazing. Um, so God is faithful when they're faithless. Now, this is what he says to us, verse 24. He says, after all, if you, you guys all Gentiles today, you wild Gentiles? He says, if you were cut out of an olive tree that is wild by nature and contrary to nature were grafted into the cultivated olive tree, how much more readily will these natural branches be grafted into their own olive tree? So basically what he's saying, he's saying for the Jews, when they come back, it's going to be real easy. That's what he says. They're the OGs. It's not going to be hard. He's like, if God could graft you in, he can bring them back. But here's the point for us. <laughs> I love this. He says, if you were cut out of an olive tree that is wild by nature. So here's our story. And here's why there's going to be pain. So we need to change because of this. God is holy. It's as simple as that. When I come into his presence, everything changes. But when everything changes... It's amazing, but it's also kind of scary because then I'm revealed. God is this revealing light. As he is revealed, I am revealed. So I need to change. But here's the pain point and why it's hard. It's simply this. We're wild by nature. Come on, somebody. You want to know why change is hard? You want to know why we don't like it? Because we're wild by nature. Is there anyone in the room today that knows that they're wild? Anyone feel, a couple of people are honest today? Um, 
you know, we, we live in like the cultural like affirmation moments. Like you guys know what affirmations are? Anyone have their daily affirmations? I'm loved. Uh, I'm a slayer. Uh, don't need no man. Whatever, whatever your affirmation is. Um, can, can, can I give you a new affirmation every morning when you wake up? Simply this. Wake up and say, I'm wild by nature. You guys, come on. Can we try it right now? Follow after me. Say, I'm wild, I'm wild. by nature. Come on, somebody. Here's why we need this. Because I need to know where my natural inclination lies. And as a wild Gentile, I don't know about you guys, but I'm inclined many times to do the very things that I don't want to do. Paul, earlier in this book, he describes it as a battle between the flesh and the spirit. Now, what the flesh is, it's just our natural inclinations. It's ourselves without God. And every single one of us in this room, whether you want to admit it or not, if you do not have the Lord in your life, if you are not governed by the Spirit, your natural inclinations are wild. It's simply that. You might think to yourself, like, I haven't prayed in six months, um, and I think I'm a pretty good person. I would argue you're more wild than you know. And every single day, you're actually drifting a little bit further away. Why? Not because God's moving, it's because you're getting more wild. God is consistent. He stays the same. He does not change. He is immutable. He is immovable. But I change, and I can, I can get really wild. Now, we live in a culture that tries to explain evil, right? It says many times, well, why is there evil in the world? Well, clearly it's because of situations. It's because of institutions. It's because of, of, of the patriarchy. It's because of structures. It's because of straight white men. That is why, you guys hear this? That is why the world is evil. I'm here to tell you it's nonsense. The reason why the world is evil is because every single one of us have what is called a sin nature. We're just wild. And so men, men, I say that like humanity, left to their own will always be wild. And there is no hope without Jesus. There is no structure, there is no system that can change the hearts of men. And we're in a cultural moment that says the best way to change is to just fix up the structures, fix up the institutions, and understand sometimes the structures need to change. No institution is perfect. We can always do things better. But to have a biblical worldview is to understand the nature of man. And the nature of man is that we are wild by nature. Now, Vision Sunday, everything can change, right? The question people say is, that, can I come to church? Like, will I be accepted? Will I be welcomed? Listen, wherever you come from, wherever you've done, you have a home in this place. But at the end of the day, I don't want anyone to leave the same. And it's not because I think that, like, you're some whatever person. It's because I just know that God is so much greater than whatever you were carrying coming in. And so why would I want anyone to leave carrying the same stuff they had when they walked in? But that process of changing can cause a little bit of pain. It's painful. And I believe anyone that has followed Jesus faithfully has experienced the pain of that change. Now, one of the questions that people ask many times, they'll say, Harrison, like, okay, 
I get changing, but how can you ask someone to change if they're, if they're born a certain way, if this is their natural inclination? Like, how can we ever ask someone to change their natural inclination? You ever heard that before? Here's what I would say, two things. Number one, you don't know scripture. Now, I don't say that judgmentally. I say that invitationally to let you know foundations hasn't started yet. And I would love to help you build a biblical worldview. So sign up for foundations. Um, but I say, because Jesus says in Matthew 22, he says, you're in error because you don't know scripture. Whenever you don't know scripture, you'll always be in error. And one of the reasons when people ask, like, how, how can I deny my natural inclination? The reason I say you don't know scripture is because it is not only a certain group of people that are called to deny their natural inclinations, it's all of us. Every single one of us is called to deny our natural inclination. What's my natural inclination? I'm wild by nature. So all of us have to deny something. Now it's gonna be different for different people. I don't know about you guys, but there's one thing I hate to do. And what's really annoying is I follow Jesus, he calls me to do it more. I hate apologizing. No one else <laughs> in this place. And it's really weird, and I don't know, maybe some of you guys have never apologized to anyone before. Um, but I have found that there's probably nothing as unnatural as looking someone in the eye and saying, I'm sorry. You, you know what I'm talking about? You know that feeling that you get? Maybe it's just me where it's like that, it's that weird thing in your stomach. It's that uncomfortable awkwardness. Like, because like, like, like last night, we had to get, you know, the girls, our twins, to apologize to each other. Um, and, and, and they did the same thing. Like, one of them, I was like, I'm like, look at your sister. And she's like. Um, but I realized, like, we don't really grow out of that. Like, we get a little better. Some of us, some of y'all, like, no. Because some of you guys are like, I don't forgive, I don't forget. Okay, you're three still. So, um, <laughs> which is fine. But the point is, it's unnatural. Yet, I believe that as soon as you start to follow Jesus, you enter into what the Bible calls the ministry of reconciliation. And you want to follow Jesus, it's about to get real unnatural. Because there's a whole bunch of people that the God is about to call you to forgive. And you're like, wait a second, they hurt me. You're like, wait a second, they're in the wrong, not me. And God says, no, no, forgive. It's unnatural. Something annoying has happened in my life. Hope you guys are different, but... Um, when it comes to my sexuality, I have to deny myself. Like, I'm married, faithfully married, um, but, like, I'm still a man. Come on, somebody. And so, can, can we be honest? Men are kind of, like, looking away right now. Like, I, I still have, and I, I can't speak for women. I think it's the same, but I can't, I can't speak for y'all. Can you speak for me? I still have natural inclinations. Now, culture says that which is natural is always right which I would deny wholeheartedly because if I follow my natural instincts, I think I would destroy my life, the church, my family, the list goes on. And so as I follow Jesus, I must pick up my cross and deny myself. It's not always natural, but I'm wild by nature. Are you guys following? So I want to kind of tear down in this series some cultural lies because that cultural lie that says, how could suppression ever be a good thing? 
And ultimately, culture says the number one way to find happiness is to never deny yourself. The Bible, I believe, is the complete opposite. It's the complete opposite. To follow Jesus is to deny myself. And you know what denying yourself does? It causes a little bit of pain. If you've ever dieted before, you want to know why the beginning of a diet is really hard? It's because you're hungry. It's, it's as simple as that. You guys ever been there like 9 p.m.? Like, oh, my gosh. Like, I'm trying to intermittent, do intermittent fasting, but, like, cereal's calling my name. It's a little bit painful, but, like, ultimately, it's good for you. You see, here's what I think a lot of us do when it comes to church. Um, we hope that God just fixes everything. I'm reading a book right now. It's called Sacred Marriage, um, which I'd recommend if you're married. It's a great book. Um, and as you're reading the book, um, he, he describes uh, just, you know, the beauty of marriage and all that can, it can be. And as you're reading it, like you're, you're envisioning like, oh, man, like marriage is great. It's going to be so perfect. Um, but something kind of frustrating happens when I read the book. Um, I realize that, like, if I want a sacred marriage, um, I have to do stuff, which is really annoying. And I say that to say, and I say this in love, some of us are believing right now that God is going to restore our marriage, our friendships, our relationships, while we do nothing. Hear me for a second. That didn't come from the Lord. Because there's always a work that we must do. Now, God can do supernatural things. He can, he can change things that might take you three years. God can do it in three days. However, there's a work that has to be done. Right? I read Sacred Marriage, and right away it's like, hey, here's some stuff you have to do to be a better husband. <laughs> Go apologize. Have conversations you don't want to have. But it's in the guise and the belief that on the other end of the stretch, on the other end of the uncomfortable, is something better. So here's what I'm believing for us as a church over these next six weeks. I'm believing, and this is just the intro. So if you're feeling pain today, come back next week. You haven't felt anything yet. We're doing hamstrings next week. Come on, somebody. Uh, I want to prepare us to stretch. I want us to prepare. And it's not, it's not to hurt us because that's a whole lot different. But it's in order that we can grow. And it's in order that we can become the people that God has called us to be. As a church, as we grow, it's going to stretch us. We're stretched for space for some, like, it's, it's okay. It means we're growing. So, here's what I want us to understand. Shallow, if you're in the building, there you go, right in the front. Uh, you can come on the keys because we're going to wrap up. You and I, we're just wild Gentiles. That's okay. I know who I am. That's my, that's my affirmation. But there is a God who has brought us into the story, and he's actually able to change our nature. Isn't that cool, right? The Bible says the heart of stone, my hard heart. Some of us, we feel like I'm, I'm a hard heart. There's a promise that God can turn the heart of stone into a heart of flesh, right? And for some of us, maybe it's one moment and psh, I'm changed forever. I think for most of us, it's a slow chisel sometimes. There's more, there's, there's deeper stuff, there's deeper pain. But the truth is, and I promise us this, on the other side of the pain, on the other side of the chisel, on the other side of the stretch, is, is, is a version of all of us that looks more like Jesus. And as a church and as a people, 
if we look more like Jesus, it's never a bad thing. And I believe for, for the outside world, it becomes this, this beacon of hope, this beacon of light, and this belief that, man, like if God's changing these people, what can he do in my life? Now, God's ways are higher than our ways. So in this series, you might be called to do some things that just don't make sense. That you're like, would God really call me to do that? Do I really have to delete that app? Do I really have to end that relationship? Come on, somebody. I don't know what God's going to call us to do in this series. But what I know is that even when the whole thing doesn't make sense, God's way is still better. And I love how he finishes Paul in Romans 11. After this whole thing, it's real deep. Paul's like, here's the best way to end it. He says, oh, the depths and the riches of the wisdom and the knowledge of God. How unsearchable are his judgments and his paths beyond tracing out. Who has known the mind of the Lord? Who has been his counselor? Who has ever given to God that God should repay them? For from him and through him and for him are all things. So to him be the glory forever. Amen. His ways are higher than my ways. The spirit leads in directions that don't always make sense to me. But at the end of the day, God is who he says he is. He is holy, he is good, he is kind, he is compassionate, but he's also stern. Listen, in the next six weeks, some of y'all, are gonna, you're going to get a finger waving from the Lord. But I love being a parent because being a parent, I think, gives me the greatest insight to the heart of God. Right? And I know. I know I love my kids more than anything. But I also know there's times I need to just sit back and wave my finger. And say, get off that ledge, Judah. You're going to crack your skull open. You just have to do it. And, and sometimes God, because he's a good father... He does the same with us. But on the other end is growth, uh, and I just believe a life that so many of us desperately are searching for. But it's gonna be a stretch. So let's stand up for a second, church. So if you're in this place and you're just saying, listen, I'm ready to stretch. You can even, if you're ready to stretch, in this place, every head bowed, every eye closed, I would love to pray for us in this place, just to prepare our hearts for what God's going to do in this next season. Uh, if you're saying, God, I'm ready to stretch. Holy Spirit, I, I want to I go where you go. Lead me where you lead. I'm going to seek reconciliation, whatever it is. If that's you today, could you just raise your hand? Because we're going to stretch. So, Father, stretch us in this season. God, help us not to give up. Help us not to get discouraged. Help us not to hurt ourselves because we know that that condemnation, that doesn't come from you. That's from the devil. So God, keep us in that tension between religiosity and, and wilding. And God, may we have a healthy picture of who you are, a reverent fear of your majesty and your might. And so God, over these next weeks, change our hearts, stretch us, prepare us, do a great work in us. We love you, God. We thank you for who you are, for your goodness and for your grace. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Come on, can we put our hands together for the Lord? Hey, thanks so much for taking the time to listen to that message. If you made a decision to follow Jesus or you want more information, head over to kingdomchurch.ca. We would love to connect with you. Until next time, take care.